Today on the Topping Show, Bud Light and Jack Daniels go viral, but is it for the right reason? Uber and Lyft CEOs try driving for the companies. Podcasters are wary of the video push. Tesla to cut prices. IRS to hire 30,000 employees. Texas Senate passes a bill to ban drag shows with children involved, as well as children body modification. And Dollar General is fined by the feds. All of that and much, much more on the Topping Show. Thank you everyone for tuning in today. Today's episode of the Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value add reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're a business owner or an IT leader, you can use a little assistance. You reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now going on to the business part of the podcast, Uber and Lyft CEOs say that they've been driving for the companies. Uber CEO Dara told Wall Street Journal that he recently spent months operating as quote unquote Dave K driving for their company as in his used Tesla in California in a project he deemed to be called Project Boomerang. The goal is to experience the job firsthand as well as getting a better understanding of the post-COVID lockdown labor shortage, which is a good idea since a lot of you're seeing this trend more and more where CEOs are trying to get back in front of their customers and seeing their frontline employees so they could see what's really going on, boots on the ground. And it's good to see that. I think it's going to be a lot of positive changes in corporate America, especially depending on the culture of the business. There is a lot of disconnect from the frontline employee all the way up to the CEO. And there's always that inherent bias where everyone wants to look good. And that message maybe at the bottom might just get softer and softer and softer. And the edges are rounded more and more and more so that by the time CEO hears a message, they might not think it's a big deal. And he might think, well, is this couple of people upset but it's not really that widespread where in reality at the ground level and all the employees are furious about a situation or they're concerned about a certain customer situation so it's good to see they're getting their seats their feet back in the cars i guess in this case now improvements from his experience they claim are going to be streamlining the sign-up process having a more robust safety features as well as more transparency for drivers about the destination before they accept a trip which I don't know how that wasn't already a thing. I'm already pretty flabbergasted just the idea of getting to a stranger's car. I've used the service once or twice, I think, since they've debuted. But in terms of if you're a driver for Uber, I can't imagine taking out a job without knowing where you're going. At least that it just seems like it's a big safety gap not to know where your destination is. You're also letting a stranger in your car, so be prepared to defend yourself and take appropriate action. That's why I see a lot of these people driving for Uber actually setting up their own webcams, or in this case, perhaps just a GoPro, to record those interactions. They can defend themselves if they're ever accused or anything. And heck, a lot of them are making, fascinating enough, they're actually making more money generating content from driving than actually driving itself as they launch their own YouTube channels and you see all the funny miscommunications as well as the interesting stories you get from driving for Uber, especially late at night. Now, Lyft CEO David Richner also spent a fair amount of time doing the exact same thing. His official day as the CEO is coming up April 12th, or sorry, April 17th. Now, other interesting businesses, podcasters are wary of the video push. YouTube has been coordinating large podcasters, trying to get them to come out of the platform and do some videos. Most of them are wary to the situation, mainly in, redu- in regard to the cost logistics that all of the 
aspects that video bring to light, which I could attest is certainly the most expensive part of any podcast or any video podcast platform and your interview podcast platform. A good example is this podcast slash YouTube channel. The microphone I have on the table cost, I believe, about $60. You buy it off Amazon. But the actual camera is a 4K Razer. I forget the actual model number. That was more like $350. And if you look at professional audio interview podcast, one of my interview podcasts is Topping Talks, where I interview people. And one single microphone is $400 for the Shure SM37B or SM7B, which is the industry standard, which sounds expensive. You have to have four of them. But then you consider the cost of one camera is about $1,000 naked, meaning no optics or rather in this case, no lens that you have to put on the camera. Before you know it, you spent $3,000 on cameras, but that's not enough. You have to have a video switcher, which is how if you watch like the Joe Rogan podcast and you have an interview with two people, you seamlessly goes between the two people thanks to a video switcher and you're only recording one actual stream of data. The alternative is to have go to Best Buy by you know, four cameras and you all record to SD cards and then post production, you actually edit and you splice in each of the video feeds. That makes the editing process extremely prohibitively expensive. So you have to have a video switcher, you have to have the cameras, you have to have soundboard. You also have to have a recording media device since it doesn't just record to an SD card. You actually have, in my case, a rack mounted DVR glorified like you used to have a TiVo where that data is streamed to to record it on SSDs. So the cost usually is you know, four to five times as much spent on the video than the actual audio. Another thing a lot of these podcasters are concerned about is the presentation with every study since the dawn of time saying that most communication between people is all visual. It's like, depending on what study you read, it's being 90, 96%. It's all visual. So if you have a podcast where you do not have a visual aspect and it's all about your tone, you don't have to worry about the presentation of your body language. That's a whole nother variable that you have to learn and adapt to. When I first started this show, some of the first comments that I read was a lack of actual hand gestures and pontification with my voice and my tones. So I've actually taken steps past couple episodes to try to get better and better at that, trying to incorporate hand gestures as well as make my sound and my voice a little bit more articulate. But it really is a majority of feedback from my show is a lot of people want to see the graphics and want to see me move around a little bit more. And I will get to the point with graphics where you have them on the screen in real time, but that takes an extra investment on the post-production or if you're lucky enough to have the resources, you can do it in real time. And production will get there, but it's also one of the things where a lot of these shows, you lose money for quite some time. It's called a sunken cost. You can offset it by having sponsorships, hopefully, to help offset the investment needed, not only for the materials, but also for the time invested to write the show. So I'm not too surprised that YouTube is trying to get these awesome content creators, but it'll be interesting to see what additional spiffs or compensation YouTube might have to offer them in order to incentivize them to make that large investment, not only in terms of regards of the hardware required, but also in terms of what lessons they might need to take for maybe a visual coach or someone that could, a speech coach that could help them with the visual aspect of the show. But podcasting has become increasingly popular, more and more people tuning into it. So the category is only going to increase in popularity. I'm not surprised Google wants a piece of that. Now, other interesting businesses, Tesla is cutting the price on all their models, which is fascinating to see because longest time I've known them, they're a premium brand. Traditionally, they usually don't cut costs. They have a couple times, but it's not the traditional business model they go for. So the Tesla 
is going to cut the price of their model entry vehicles on the model s and the model x by five thousand dollars a piece so the new price is going to be eighty four thousand nine hundred ninety and ninety four thousand nine hundred ninety respectively now last month the automaker slashed the prices uh between four and nine percent on the model three and y i believe between one thousand and three or two thousand and although it does seem bizarre because they haven't done a lot of discounting before traditionally they've done it one for tax incentives for everyone who's buying a tesla Part of the reason they're buying it is because they have the offset in their income tax. I think the tax credit, I last checked, was about $7,500. So you get to deduct that respectively on your taxes when you submit them. And it's also, if you read Elon's book, I forget the actual name. It's Elon Musk by Ashley. The author is Ashley Vance. And I think that's an exclusive interview. So you actually had access to Elon. as a lot of direct quotes in the book. If you read about the Tesla part of the book, the whole vision of the company was start off with a premium brand, get a sports car version because people who are sports enthusiasts usually are a little bit more forgiving when it comes to manufacturer defects. They know it's a new product, it's more innovative. There's gonna be some quirks and features as Doug DeMere might say. But the long-term goal of Tesla is to get the price point down where everyone can afford one. And thanks to economies of scale, they're making more and more of these you can decrease the cost per unit. They might be at the point where you can actually introduce a quote unquote entry level vehicle. Though VW a couple weeks ago did introduce theirs, I believe it was sub $30,000. So it'll be a tall order to see if they can compete on that. Now, other interesting businesses news, which is actually going to move into the culture part of the podcast. And one of the most fascinating things I've seen in advertising in probably the past 10 years in terms of something that immediately went viral for better and worse with two opposing viewpoints and people on all sides of the aisles getting arms up in the air, flustered, confused, happy, sad about beer, which I would have never thought possible. So, Bud Light recently chose Dylan Mulvaney as their sponsor. Now, a lot of people are starting to protest that. I'll explain where, why, or why that might be problematic in terms of your approach. Make sure you know who owns them. Now, Bud Light is currently owned by InBev, which is one of the largest, if not, I believe, the largest alcohol holding company on the planet. They're based in Belgium. They own about 50 beer brands. 50. Now, I looked for the list because I'm fascinated by you know who owns what. And these are... I looked at a list of 50 brands. These are the ones that I think most people will recognize. So you have, obviously, have Bud Light, but you also have Bud Lizer, Natural Light, Rolling Rock. You got Goose Island, Shock Top, Corona Light, Corona Regular, Stella Otis, Foster's, Victoria Bitter, Modelo, Bass, and many others. And it, if you go through the brand, I mean, Foster's is Australian, Victoria Bitter is also Australian. I think Stella sounds European. And a lot of those are also American. So they have a global footprint of all these different companies. They're all held together by InBev. Now, Anheuser-Busch's marketing manager, Alyssa Gordon-Heinerschild, she brags on LinkedIn that she is the first female to lead the largest beer, in- beer, beer brand in the industry, also uses she, her pronouns in her bio. And as far as my research shows, she is the one who's de- behind this marketing initiative. Based on her age and demographics, this marketing mission initiative might make more sense now she is part of the gen z or i don't know we call you my generation the younger generation who appreciates things that are viral on the internet and culturally popular now dylan mulvaney is known as a trans influencer who is a male actor and then he started a vlog where he transitioned to a woman describing how everything was different and all the activities some some criticized him as going and portraying a woman in a stereotypical fashion one of the 
interesting episodes he posted where was saying a day as hiking as a woman where Dylan actually took heels, wore them, and hiked in the forest, which I, I did ask. I did some research. My mom and my sister, they have never done that. Anecdotal evidence I know. Now, Dylan is extremely viral in terms of he has, last time I checked from this morning, 10 million TikTok followers and has received more sponsorships than I could count. So one of the most popular vessels for marketing your brand. Dylan was also invited to the United States White House to meet the president. Something which used to be reserved for the most prestigious situations. Think about your, your veterans, your gold, Purple Heart awardees, all the most prestigious folks in the world. They, that used to be reserved for those people. Now, Dylan's estimated net worth is $2 million, has endorsement deals from Kate Spade, Alter Beauty, Haas Labs, CeraVe, Crest, Instacart, and more. So more sponsorships than I could possibly sponsor, though I would also argue the best sponsor of all time is Topping Technologies. You need technology. You're a business owner or an IT leader? Let me know this to you. Sales at ToppingTechnologies.com. Now, it is estimated that Bud Light paid Dylan $100,000 to hold a beer can with Dylan's face on it. Now, the can was not, this is another tricky thing about advertising. I looked into it, the can is not on store shelves. It was a promotional can given to Dylan with his face on it. And the can noted celebrating 365 days of being a woman. Imagine getting paid $100,000 to hold a can of debatably beer allegedly beer i did some research i did some taste testing probably about 13 15 years ago when i was in college and it was pretty close to water i prefer spirits myself but a hundred thousand dollars for a picture says something now bud light made this sponsorship and it's caused caused something very interesting more people have spoken about bud light in the past week than the past 10 years i think the last time i heard about bud light it was they had a beer commercial in the Super Bowl, which debatably, I don't even know if that was done internally with their marketing department. While well, those commercials are hired out by contractors and agencies, but they had the beer, the beer light fridge or the magic fridge. And the guy went to the fridge in his apartment. He would open it. There'd be beer Bud Light and you would close it. And his friends go, what is that? He goes, it's magic fridge. And every once in a while it turns around and his neighbor wanted to hide the beer or the, something from his wife. So every couple of months they would turn around and these guys in a random apartment would open the beer and be all oh, the light, which is perhaps not as effective as it could be because I can barely remember it. But the concept was cute, entertaining, and interesting. And for the longest time, Bud Light was predominantly, if I could, for my research, used by frat boys, you know, I want to say blue collar workers, you know, folks who grind out, you know, frontline employees. It's kind of portrayed itself historically as the average man's beer if you look at a lot of their marketing materials from the past. Now, it's interesting. It looks like they're trying to expand more into the LGBT community, although some other people also debate if the trans community is separate than that community, but then other people say it's the same. It's a lot of interesting cultural things I'm still learning about, most of my background coming from business, and although I am fascinated by this marketing phenomenon. Now, in response to this, they're already having boycotts. Most makes sense. Some of them are, these are the country stars. So Travis Tritt, Kid Rock, who actually, I don't know if that's country. I thought he was Rock. Whatever. He's um, 
and then John Rich. And he also has several bars as well as distribution centers that are boycotting the product, saying that they're no longer going to carry it once it's sold out. And a very viral video of Kid Rock actually shooting a can or a case of Bud Light with a machine gun, which I always thought it does send a message, but you're also throwing away money you made. He's a millionaire or something like that. So it doesn't have any effect on his pocketbook, but I'm always fascinated by like average people who go, they hilariously is when they buy the product just to destroy it, when they literally just gave their money to that company. A bizarre form of protesting or in this case, boycotting to say the least. Now going on to the spirits part of the liquor world, another interesting thing, Jack Daniels sponsored a reality drag show in 2021. Now their marketing must've been subpar. I never heard about this. And I talked to anecdotally a lot of my friends None of them had heard about it. So I don't know if there's just not enough marketing dollars put behind this to propel the idea, but it was produced. Now, Jack Daniels, fun fact, was founded in 1875 by Jasper Newton Daniel, nicknamed Jack. And he was founded in Lynchburg, Tennessee. He learned how to make the whiskey from a local preacher in his town by the name of Dan Call. Now, since then, they have been sold out to a parent company. The parent company is now, now known as Brown Foreman Corp. That's Brown hyphen Foreman Corp. And they own everything from Calhoun Whiskey, Woodford Reserved, Old Forester, Ford's Gin, and a couple other ones that I didn't recognize. Now, this took place back in 2021. They sponsored a TV reality series called, and I have to squint at some of my notes, Drag Queen Summer Camp. And I did look at a couple of the previews, and it was a little bizarre, to say the least, in terms of the traditional disconnect I see from their traditional customer base, them trying to expand into a new customer base. Now, it is interesting. The one time you can be stereotypical is when it's hillbillies. It's the one exemption you have in marketing to this day or white folks, I guess. They, it, it's still okay to make fun of them for some odd reason. Now, in this reality show, or I don't know if it's a reality show. Most of those are scripted. Nevertheless, they one of the clips showed a stereotypical hillbilly and of course, it was a overweight gentleman wearing overalls and he went up to the bar of drag drag lady drag show content not contestants i forgot his drag show man i forget what they, i don't this is an interesting situation i forget what they're called now he goes to the bar and he orders a, he wants some jack daniels and they make him a fruity drink i think it was jack daniels it was in the red bottle it wasn't the cinnamon one but they mix some fruit in it and then they also had a grandma in the background just like dancing like the old you know six flags commercials and she was enjoying every bit of it as well nevertheless extremely different than the jack daniels that many of us grew up with and would associate with their core customer base so a lot of people are wondering why are these businesses bud light and jack daniels both doing this is it to send a message is it to increase sales what's the use case now with Bud Light, I think that marketing, uh, what was that gal's name? I forget. I was going to say, if you're in marketing, you should probably have the most unique name ever. Alyssa Gordon Heinershield. Based on her age and demographics, I would think she is part of the folks who love buzzwords and love things that go viral. And with Dylan's massive TikTok following, Alyssa was thinking, hey, Dylan's extremely popular. Put our brand in his hand. We're going to get new clients. Maybe not the traditional ones. Maybe we don't care about that anymore, but we're going to increase sales by expanding our current customer base. Now I did some research and that 
the LGBT population is increasing. I don't know if that the business question is, is that increase that new market going to offset the current base that you might be losing through these actions? That's the business question I have. And as we see sales increase and decrease over the next couple of weeks, we'll have more quantifiable results. And now this is according to Gallup.com, which as far as I, re as far as I can tell, is not partisan to one political party in particular. They might be I, just a little research. I didn't see any. Now they did a poll on the increase in the LGBT population. Now in 2022, according to their poll, the total U.S. population was that identified as LGBT was 7.1 percent. Now that number is double what it was in 2012. So the customer base is expanding exponentially. Now they did a little poll in 2021 of 12,000 United States adults, and here is where maybe these businesses think this is the future in terms of the demographics. If you look at Gen Z, which is born 1997 to 2003, the number of people who identify as LGBT is 20.8%. Now, if you look at millennials from 19, born 1981 to 1996, that's 10.5%. If you go to the generation before, born between 1965 and 1980, it's 4.2%. If you go to the baby boomers born between 1946 and 1964, it's 2.6%. Any other traditionalists who are born before 1946, that's 0.8%. So if you look at the generations, it's quite literally doubling the size every generation. So from this perspective, it's debatable how many of these businesses are authentically into these initiatives or if it's just pure fiscal gain. But every generation, that number is doubling. There's a lot of questions of why. I, I've... I haven't gone down the rabbit hole researching that particular topic, trying to find some unbiased sourced. And maybe these businesses think that, well, maybe if you look at the trend, historically, every generation it doubles, we could be that premium whiskey or <laughs> I almost said premium with Bud Light, which would be the most inaccurate description ever involving beer. So they certainly are the premium, but maybe they'll be the volume sales for the LGBT. Although it's also noted that other brands already cater to that community. And if you look at how many times they post and how many times those other brands, I believe it's a Coors Light. Now, they actually already, they don't have a monopoly on that community, but they've advertised more to that community than Bud Light. So even if Bud Light thinks it's a good idea, they're playing catch up. They're not necessarily being an industry leader in that regard. Now, it'll be interesting to see how the boycotts pan out. Now, traditionally, conservatives are piss poor when it comes to boycotting, for better or worse. I would say for worse because they're not getting politi their political points across. But there have been some reports and some people that are canceling their contracts. We'll have some more quantifiable data tomorrow. Now, if you look at the past of conservatives trying to protest, it was a little while back then they had Coca-Cola. They had their diversity training and it was leaked. And I believe it was by Robin DiAngelo and the, the training. And this is a fortune 500 major brand been around for a hundred years. They had their employees taking training, which said, quote, be less white, unquote, which is one of the most racist things I could possibly think of. And is even more ironic and hilarious as taking place in a HR diversity training. If you switch that with any other other race, it's abhorrently disgusting. As it is just to say, be less white. That's disgusting. Also, 
unquantifiable. If you're giving someone a goal or training, give them quantifiable numbers. That's what I always tell people, regardless of what you're doing in life, quantify everything you can. Now, Matt Walsh, who's a conservative commentator working at the Daily Wire, he tweeted, here's what we can do. Pick a victim, gang up on it, and make an example of it. We can't boycott every woke company or even most of them, but we can pick one, it hardly matters which, and target them with a ruthless boycott campaign, to claim one, scalp, and move on to the rest, unquote. Now, Matt Walsh does have a very good point in terms of, historically, conservatives fracture in terms of when they try to boycott in a certain industry or trend, they don't stay together, which is what the left and Democrats are infinitely, historically infinitely more organized and effective when it comes to completely decimating, punishing businesses regarding their political ideals and political views. So if conservatives can organize more effectively, maybe use the internet, great invention. I highly recommend using it. But that's the thing they struggle with in the past. And if you look at business incentives, that's really the domino effect or the ripple effect when you look at these fascinating business situations. Historically, and one of my, my most famous favorite examples is Twitter. In the beginning, Twitter really didn't have any censorship. Relatively speaking, it was moderately a pretty fair community but then advertisers started going to Twitter and go, hey, we don't like that particular brand or that particular political view. If you don't get rid of it, we will not pay you advertising dollars and advertise on your platform. And people on the right didn't speak up or if their brand got nicked or censored, they didn't hubbub about it. They didn't promulgate their disgust or disdain. So these businesses, these businesses do not know. It's either they can de notice a small decrease in sales but you don't see the type of viral marketing campaigns and the community backing their actual actions. So if conservatives have any hope to try to move the ball on these businesses being more, perhaps, maybe they just get out of politics completely and acquiesce from any political statements. Most businesses, I would argue that'd be the most prudent decision if you want a 100% market share saturation or your goal is to sell the highest volume of units to the, high, the greatest number of people. There are exceptions, of course, if you're a political podcast like The Daily Wire, their niche is conservative viewers. Their goal isn't to get 100% viewership. They want to find people in the middle and people on the right. That is the product they are tailoring to. But when it comes to things like drinks, where everyone can drink Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Jack Daniel, well, if you're over 21, why not have the goal of having an inclusive brand that empowers and it covers everyone on the political spectrum? So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Now, going into the politics part of the podcast, the IRS pl plans to hire 30,000 employees. This is part of their larger plan that they announced to hire 80,000 employees. Now, this is especially concerning if you own a small business or if you just make any money at all. We were told in the beginning that they were only going to go after the billionaires. And I always tell people, I don't care who's in office, be wary of what they're saying. If someone says they're only going to go after the billionaires, that's ridiculous. If you look at any historical government actions, initiatives. It's never isolated to one category or one group. If you look at one of my favorite examples is the federal income tax, which used to not exist for most of the United States history. Then World War II came and they said, well, this war is kind of expensive. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have it voluntary. If you want to you know, put forth your tax dollars to help support the United States in this endeavor, you can do a federal income tax. Then we'll get more involved in the war. The feds go, well, Here's the thing. This is very expensive. We're going to start a federal income tax. However, we promise it will go away after the war. 
And then the war stopped, and the government goes, hey, this is a lot of money, and we still have to pay for some of the stuff we bought for the war. We're just going to keep this initiative for indefinitely. And the same thing happened throughout U.S. history. One of my favorite examples being the Midwest with the, the Chicago toll system, which, of course, at the beginning they said, oh, yeah, we're just going to have toll, but just to pay for the roads. But it'll go away eventually. And, of course, it only went up in price again and again again. Fun fact, if you're out of state and you forget to actually pay cash or you have, like, out-of-state toll tag or you have someone tag you in their system, it's $25 per toll instead of the standard, I think, 275 or $3. Nevertheless, taxes seem to never go away, only increase. So we're saying this is only going after the billionaires. Now, keep in mind, according to Forbes, in 2022, there are only 400 billionaires in the United States. So roughly, you do the math, that means if you believe them, they're only going after the billionaires, that's 200 employees per billionaire. And even if the billionaire has 50 LLCs or 100 LLCs, do you really think they're going to put all those resources on those 400 people? No, they're coming after you and I, or you and me. I forget. I'm not a grammar expert, though I try. Now, it's also one of those concerns where during one of the greatest times in inflation, 40-year high inflation, businesses are closing, people are struggling. You're going to have less money in your pocket because there's going to be more audits. And audits can literally put a business out of business. And I always compare it to, there used to be, someone actually wrote a book, someone in the comments illuminate the book, and I gladly need to add it to my shelf to start reading. But there's a book that says how you break 10 laws before you even go to lunch every day or something to that effect because there are so many laws, you have no idea how many you're breaking. And you even just unintentionally, you're breaking them. Same thing goes for taxes, both business and personal. One of the most ex important things I tell people, people when you start a business, get a good accountant who could walk you through the process and educate you on all of the different taxes you have to pay, all the different responsibilities to do, all the proper ways to classify things. And of course, they don't teach any of that in public school. That'd be too helpful. But it is one of the most important things you have to think about as a business is all those burdens because if you don't follow them to the dotted very last decimal point you can be put out of business sued it's a very stressful very intimidating situation that's why we have the accounting industry to assist with those types of facilitate those needs but it can be intimidating and this extra bolstered and don't forget their armed agents last time i read the article it's such a concern about where they're going to be going after and how many businesses who were able to survive COVID might not be able to survive this. Now, other interesting businesses, the Texas Senate, now remember it has to go to the House, but the Texas Senate passed a bill that would ban drag shows, including children and child body modification. Now, this would out, specifically, this is outlaw drag queen performances in front of minors, including drag queen story hour, which Go wind back the clock a year ago. I've never heard that in my life. So apparently is when a drag king or you know a queen would go to a public school, usually dressed as as little clothing as Madonna, and they would read a book to children. Never in my life would I think that was a thing. Now, the initiatives were headed by Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who has one of the most powerful positions in the Senate. The bill passed April 4th to go now go on to the Texas House of Representatives. Another fun job if you're in the government, or maybe this is just a computer. The names of these bills are so uninspiring. So the first bill is SB14. 
Sam Bravo 1-4, SB 1-4. Now, that's sponsored by Texas Senator Donna Campbell, who is a medical doctor. Now, this particular bill would end body modification, some say mutilation of children in Texas. It prohibits healthcare providers from performing sex change surgery or prescribing puberty blockers to minors. And however they say, unless it is medically necessary, one of the biggest concerns about puberty blockers, one, they are not being used as designed. And it's being it's called off-label, which for any other drug, I thought was a crime to the utmost degree. And it's one of the situations where the drug was created for a very specific purpose. The FDA, Federal Drug Administration, approved the drug for that specific purpose, and now they're using it for a different purpose. And there are no long-term studies about how these affect kids. I don't care how many, and there's a compilation by Matt Walsh on his What Is Woman documentary, where he interviews do, many doctors, politicians, they also claim there's you know, zero, you know, zero long-term effects, zero long-term risk. You can't know that because the studies have never been done. Nobody knows. And I can't imagine it's good to introduce something like that to a kid. A lot of them say it's a pause on puberty. That's not how the human body works. Now, doctors would also, and this is perhaps what makes the bill actually effective, because you can have all the pop and circumstance in the world and just say you condemn something, but if there's no teeth behind it, so to say, it's worth literally nothing. So the bill would ban the medical practice of that. And also, we pulled up right here. It'd say it'd be, oh, it's, oh, yes, it would have doctors lose their licenses should they break the law under the bill. So there would actually be real-world consequences, which, again, quantifiable. They lose their license, they can't make a living. That is a quantifiable result. Very easy to track. Now, you also have SB 112, which is sponsored by Brian Hughes, Hughes, who's the Republican senator. This would ban drag shows in front of children, which, similar to strip shows or strip clubs, I don't know how it's appropriate to have a child in those types of situations, especially when they're all highly sexualized. It, a lot of people remember there's a drag show performance during Christmas last year where they actually performed sexual acts in front of children with simulated parts with details so crude I dare not go into them on YouTube because this would probably get put, pulled down. Now, SB 112 would make it, specifically, their, their particular verbiage is it would make sexual oriented performances on public proper, it would make, really oddly worded, but it would make sexual oriented performances on public property a business or from a child illegally, illegal. Now, breaking that law could result in a class A misdemeanor with, up, with a fine of up to $10,000. Now, other interesting thing is, I don't know why they're not being, why would you not give them a more appropriate classification and say their child either, I'm trying to think of a polite way of saying it, but it sounds like there is a polite way of saying it, to be frank, but how is that not sexual abuse? If you take the situation, if you were to have a performer do this exact same act in like a public park, there'd be huge legal ramifications. It's fascinating and it's bizarre and disgusting to think there's an exception because you have some music playing, but same thing, it just doesn't, there's not a logical, well, logical reason to this. Now, a lot of this is appealing to a lot of parents who are quite concerned about what their children are being exposed to, both in school as well as through these community activities. And I don't say this often, but Republicans may just have a good idea in terms of 
you can connect with the parents, which they historically have not. And historically, if you can make parents a voting group and actually have them interested in out these political outcomes, as they had with other bills that are, one bill is hoping to make the transparency between parents and schools much more by having the schools share what materials they're showing their children and actually giving them input on a curriculum where historically it was obfuscated and we actually weren't allowed to be part of the process. They could continue this trend of appealing to the parents and empowering the parents. They could just win a couple of elections. I say could because just like the midterms, they have a particular talent of disappointing their of disappointing um, their actual constituents and their followers and their voters. However, this is an important issue for a lot of parents. If they could drive that home and actually follow through on these ideals and these plans, I think they'll increase their voters percentage dramatically. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, the Dollar General is being fined by the federal government. Dollar General, their company is headquartered in Tennessee and a lot of people may not, I was shocked by this revenue. Now the 2022 revenue for Dollar General was $37.84 billion with a net income of $2.4 billion. And they employ about 180,000 workers. They're founded in 1939 and operate 18,774 stores in the U.S. and Mexico, which is astonishingly impressive. I always knew they were synonymous with small towns. If you look at geographically where they start their stores and where they grow the most, it's usually the smaller towns and they brag about how most small towns are within a certain mileage of a dollar general and i didn't realize how impressive their presence truly was and how incredibly fiscal su successful they are as well which logically does make sense as more and more companies are starting and people in particular are starting to look at more economical alternatives and more entry-level price points for their daily items as well as their perishables perishables being items that you only use for a certain amount of time think about your dish show dish soap sponges and other consumables like that now since 2017 they've been fined about 15 million dollars for safety violations again sorry since 2017 now a recent inspection by osha which again fun acronym of the day everyone wants to sound smart osha stands for occupational safety and health administration an inspection by osha found quote dangerous safety hazards unquote including blocking emergency exit routes in New Jersey, Shore Peninsula, Pennsylvania, in New Jersey, as well as Pennsylvania, um, actually Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania, tongue tied for a minute there. And they also include other hazards such as blocked electrical panels. The fine for that particular store is 245544 for having just a few boxes in the way. And I always wondered with all these fines, where does that money go? Like a lot of things in government, I always wonder, where does that money go? And more often than not, it's hard to find the answers. Again, if someone knows, gladly put in the comments. I'll read it, like, and I even like and reply to it. Now, I always tell folks, shopping the Dollar General is fascinating and fun because you can find some good deals. But you have to kind of treat it, treat it like a college track experience or high school track meet. You're going to have to jump over some boxes. There's going to be some fun obstacles you got to get through. You just kind of know that going in. It's just historically, the stores are understaffed. So there's few people doing that have to cover a lot of responsibilities and this isn't particularly unique to the dollar general the dollar tree also have an instance where a lot of the boxes in the inventory isn't in the back a lot of it is in the aisles and it's one of the situations where employees have multiple responsibilities so you might have an employee unpacking a box but a minute later a client's trying to check out and they have to go rush to that register 
to facilitate that customer's needs. But it still is a lot of fines and those fines are starting to add up. Now, it'll be interesting to see how things proceed. Maybe they make a couple of changes, but getting fined by the feds and having your name in the newspaper like that, or more accurately, the internet like that, that's surely the business blunder of the day. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Cannot thank everyone enough. Don't forget you'd like to see more content like this to like, subscribe, and comment. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your enemies. Heck, tell anyone, everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.